Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's got a big banjo part, that song. That's some old-timey crap. It, it, that reminds me of Wayne Newton's Daddy, Don't You Walk So Fast. It's like, like, what was everybody, like, mentally challenged in the 70s question? Like, <laughs> it's hard to imagine people driving around with that on AM radio and thinking, like, yeah, I've got my act together. 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. How is it going? It's going well. Sorry, that's going great. Welcome to podcast number five, 1973. Jeff Simons out in California. Welcome. Hello. Ben Barton in Knoxville. How's it going? By the way, we prefer beautiful Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay. I didn't know you had a tagline. Beautiful Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, it is a beautiful place. So we've got a, a musical podcast. I've been listening to the first four. Uh, the release was going to happen today, but then uh, the, the, uh, the job got in the way. So uh, they're, starting, they're starting to sound really, really good. If you like um, <laughs> nasal sounds and, and feedback and things like that, this is your podcast. Professional show business. <laughs> the other thing we do is we talk about music. And Ben Barton, uh, in podcast number three, I kept, I thought you were saying, I'm here for the aggression and the fun. But in listening, I think you're saying the funk. Yeah, or both. I'll take aggression and fun. I'm not, you know, I'm open-minded on these topics. Aggression can be fun. Yeah, and <laughs> um, funky. All of these things can be fun. Yeah, fun. absolutely. Well, Johnny Rotten, you, Johnny Rotten once said, "Anger is an energy." Right? We're 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 all about all kinds of uh, things that get the blood pumping up. That's correct. Well, we angry are, up the blood. We are uh, three aging white men who are going back through our <laughs> lives and picking our favorite song from each year. Uh, last week, my pick was me and Bobby McGee. Uh, Janis Joplin's version. And this week I discovered not a remake of me and Bobby McGee, but a new band on the scene with me and Bobby and Bobby's brother. Ben, have you heard the song? I have not. Jeff, we play a little bit and we're going to play guess the band with Ben Barton. Me and Bobby and Bobby's brother. You want the original? Uh, Sure. Are there multiple cover versions? I'm excited. <laughs> Who else came to Here we go, cover? ready? Oh, I've got a very solid guess. Are you ready? Yeah. The Wiggles. 
<laughs> that's good guess. That's how much I like that. I think it's the Wiggles. <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's actually a pretty good. They're kind of like the Wiggles of the 1970s, except in the 70s, the Wiggles were considered serious artists. Right. And instead of Australia, this band is from Sweden. Oh, no, that's ABBA? That's that ABBA. ABBA. Oh, look at that. That's That's rough. amazing. That's, you know, they're saving that for the third movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And by the way, my daughters love those movies. I saw both of them in the theaters multiple times. So wow. I'm there for that. It was the Branson uh, musical this year, Mamma Mia. So. Oh, that's yeah, a great awesome. call. Wow. Um, well, all right. Well, that was a, a little fun to get us started because it really fits with the theme of the week, which is new bands. I, I don't know if you guys had trouble picking a song. It, it seems like a lot of people arrived in 1973. Someone who arrived in 1972 was Roberta Flack. But in 1973, she also wins the Grammy. Again. Two back, Grammys two in back a row. years. Um, Wait, she, she did the last one, too? That was who sang the last one? The first time ever I saw your face. Yeah. So this one I actually like. The last one I didn't like, but this one I like. Interesting, because right. they're pretty. You just like it because the Fugees brought yes. it back oh, to life. Totally, though. that's just like <laughs> yeah. a thousand percent for sure. All right, here we go. It's the Grammy winner, "Killing Me Softly" with his song by Roberta Flack. Strumming my pain with his fingers, singing my life with his words, killing me softly with his song, killing me softly with his song. Telling my whole life with his words, killing me softly with his song. Strumming my pain <laughs> with his fingers, singing my life with his words, killing me softly with his song. Better, warmer, closer, for sure. No doubt. Wow, nice, uh, nice mixing there, Jeff Simons. Ah, uh, well, they're alphabetical in the old in the old uh, hopper, so it wasn't too wasn't too so, strong. So, Roberta Flack, two Grammys in a row, "Killing Me Softly" with his song "Song of the Year." Do you, either of you know which singer she was singing about with that song? No. It's fascinating. It's Mel Torme. No, I'm just the kidding. Velvet I mean, Fog. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say Bobby Darin. It's like completely the neighborhood. I it was sounds like a freaking. <laughs> I was totally joking. I have no idea um, who she was singing. Song. Oh. It's a disaster. By the way, that's believable though. That's good. That was good. Hey, you're you're muting yourself there over and over again, Big B. I don't know. Content. What happened. I like that. Sorry about okay. that. That's okay. <laughs> uh, I did a little Roberta Flack deep dive because I was so shocked that she. Uh, so there's two really good Roberta Flack songs from the records before these records where she became kind of a torch ballad. One of them is this unbelievably weird song called Reverend Lee, where oh. the 
she's hot for the preacher and she tries to seduce the the preacher in her town. It's so uncomfortable and strange. And then she does an unbelievable cover of Les McCann's Compared to What? You guys know that old song? No. This one? Oh, I know that bass line. Right? This is Roberta Flack's first song on her first album. And it's pretty great. It's got this whole, like, funky thing going on that's totally missing from the Grammy winners. Possession is the motivation. Hanging up the whole damn nation. So anyway, I... Uh, I was, happy to, I was happy to find some Roberta Flack that wasn't so dripping in cheese, but uh, it, I did have to dig pretty hard. Where does she go from here? I have no idea. I, I got to be honest. She's not an artist that I, I had to download the uh, uh, first time ever I saw your face to have a copy of it for last week. Um, and I had Killing Me Softly, but um, I don't know much about her. Well, it's interesting the number of African-American women who, who came to us in the 60s who then have this career in the 80s as well with, with uh, pop radio, and she just disappears. She's not one of them. Yeah. Well, all right. Let's talk about what is happening in 1973. I've got some big news stories for you. Uh, Roe v. Wade, Watergate, the Vietnam Peace Accords. Ooh. Three big news stories. And I'm trying to think of, you know, you think about how chaotic our world is. Those are some jarring events happening in 1973. You also have the resignation of whom? Oh, uh, what's his face? The vice president, right? Oh, Spiro Agnew. Spiro Agnew. How did a man named Spiro Agnew become vice president of the United States? Have have you ever met a Spiro in your life? I have not. Oh, it's a Greek name. You never met a Spiro? I've never met a Spiro. Yeah. In you Brooklyn, have. We got some Spiros. Oh, okay, fair enough. I'm a, I, I am a uh, suburban country boy, so <laughs> lots of I, uh, lots of jacks in my world. Do either of you know why he resigned? Uh, tax evasion in Maryland. Yeah, I Very for good. some reason I always associated it with Nixon's corruption and Watergate. I totally believe the Maryland governor, simple. Marvin Mandel, had to resign because of the same scandal, right? Mandel resigned like a, three days after Agnew. And I believe that was right after we moved to Maryland. It was like one of the first headlines I can remember as a little kid was wow. Mandel resigns. All right. Um, who wins the Triple Crown this year, Ben Barton? Ooh, uh, that's, um, I'm going to forget. Jeff will know. Secretariat. Yeah. Good. Do either of you know? Oh, wait, hold on, hold on. I oh, know the sorry. NBA champion, though. You're oh, yeah, you do. Doctors. Yeah, that's baby. right. Willis Reed. So sorry. That's not on my list. <laughs> um, which two countries gained independence from Great Britain? Ooh, in 73. Is it like Aruba? I mean, that's late. Close. It is a, an island nation. I think Aruba was a Dutch colony, though. Is it Jamaica? It is not. It is the Bahamas. I was going to say the Bahamas, damn it. And Belize. Oh, no Belize. Wow. That's, by the way, that's late. Yeah, that is. <laughs> For Great Britain to still have a hold in Central America. That is America. really recent. 
Um, and before we get to our number one hit of the year, whew, it's a rough one. Tell me uh, who won the Battle of the Sexes tennis match. Well, that's Billie Jean King over Bobby Riggs in straight sets, I believe. Didn't we all win, Jeff? You know who really won is Bobby Riggs. He apparently fixed it. Oh, is that right? Oh, dude, he was like a, a really bad gambling addict, and he had a whole bunch of bets on King. Wow. That is fantastic. And that's why he went so hard before – I mean, this is all allegedly, but that's why he went so hard before the match, is he wanted to drive up betting on him. That is awesome. Oh, my gosh. That is great. So, in other uh, words, nobody won to answer your question, <laughs> Tim. In fact – like not unlike the hydrochloric oh, no, queen Billie of Jean today. Billie Jean King won. Come on, Billie Jean King just keeps winning. She's awesome. Yeah, she is pretty cool. So with uh, these gigantic events in 1973, we have a number one hit that just kind of stops me in my tracks. Are you ready for it, Jeff? I am ready. And so a song, a song for these troubled, complicated times. It's the number one single. Tie a Yellow Ribbon Round the Old Oak Tree by Tony Orlando and Dawn. I'm coming home, I've done my time. Now I've got to know what is and isn't mine. If you receive my letter telling you I'd soon be free Then you'll know just what to do If you still want me If you still want me Won't tie a yellow ribbon Around the old old tree It's been three long years Do you still want me If I don't see a ribbon enough of that wow good lord that's the biggest hit of 1973 number one and it's not even close it was it sold like a zillion copies because the yellow ribbon became a a thing that uh wives of vietnam veterans were doing to welcome them home and so it just rode the zeitgeist and to number one with like an a crazy bullet even though the song completely forgotten the song I heard yeah. the verse and I was like, oh, is this dude coming home from prison? What's he up? He is, but he is. He's coming home from prison and they re they reappropriated it for returning veterans. But oh, no, that's amazing. It really is. This, uh, this that's is, a great This Vietnam is the sound of a guy who right has there. served his nickel and is coming home. And this wow. is what the music sounds like. Tony, Orlando, and Dawn. <laughs> you know, what's so interesting about is you were complaining um, in recent podcasts that the Grammys are reaching back 10 or 15 years for a sound that's kind of passed them by. Yeah. And this is, this isn't the Grammy. This is the, Oh dude, people. this is like, that wasn't even a decade ago. That's right. Like 1954. Unbelievable. <laughs> Woo. That's got a big banjo part. That's, that's some old timey crap. And, and, that reminds me of Wayne Newton's daddy. Don't you walk so fast. It's like, like, what was everybody like mentally challenged in the seventies question? Like, it's <laughs> hard to imagine people driving around with that on AM radio and thinking like, yeah, I've got my act together. Yeah. Rocking out. All right. Uh, well, Jeff, you have the impossible question this week. Okay. But I'm going to, I'm going to hold it because I want 
the invitation to cynicism question to come first. Oh, okay. Uh, ben, we just talked about the fact that Great Britain uh, separated ways with the Bahamas and Belize. Yep. And it, if you know anything about English history, their colonial period was striking. If you know anything about the game of risk, <laughs> there is a chance in risk where you might overextend yourself. Yeah. I played and risk a week ago. Did you? Okay. Yeah, dude, I was gonna say. I so, was going to say, you are barking up the right tree with this line of questioning. Uh, oh, I'm very cynical about risk. I'm going to mute myself and enjoy this entire exchange. At what point did Great Britain make the move that lost their game of risk? Oh, I like this. Very nice. Uh, World War One. that was it. They needed to just keep building. They just needed to keep building on top of the stuff that they already had. And World War One was where they really crapped out. And they just kept fighting in the trenches. Yeah, lost, totally. Lost their hold. Jeff Simons, do you agree? To quote the Simpsons uh, miniature golf episode when Bart and uh, uh, calls it a draw with um, the kid he's playing, with Flanders' kid, and they go bow and turn in their putters and say, we both decided we're equally good. And the commentator says, I haven't seen sportsmanship like this since Lord Bat Mountbatten gave India back to the Punjabs. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right, the impossible question. Jeff, you've already mentioned that Jamaica was once a colony of Great Britain. Yeah, this is going to be bad. Is England's influence on Bob Marley, who I believe also has a debut album in 1973. Is England's influence on Bob Marley a positive one or a negative one? Go. Well, you could not have set me up better, Mr. Plain. Am I going first this week? Our three songs. You are. Because, in fact... No, really? The song of 1973 starts... A little something like this. Stir It Up by Bob Marley. opportunity to crush me in a minute but here is my okay here is my you can reason. actually do it for me you can just play the tape back first of all slow it slow it down so 1973 is uh it's a year with a lot of heavy hitter records in it um right i believe we get dark side of the moon in 1973 which goes on to yes. be one of the if not the most popular album of all time certainly in the conversation um the who released quadrophenia zeppelin yep. releases houses of the holy stevie wonder releases inner visions and in fact if you look at worldwide album sales all of those records are absolutely dwarfed by the by the influence of the guy who releases his first two records off the island, 
Bob Marley releases Catch a Fire and Burnin' in 1973. And as you point out, Tim, he does it because Island Records, Chris Blackwell at Island Records, signs Bob Marley, brings the band to England, they record their stuff, and then he overdubs a couple of English session pros on the top to sweeten it for a worldwide audience. And reggae is now if is now the most best selling musical style on planet earth and bob marley is the best selling artist in the history of the world with the exception of the beatles wait are, you, the saying, beatles. are you saying in 1973 or, or no still no it took it, it no 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 it actually didn't happen until after his death like bob marley was like a bob marley was still playing clubs at about the size of 500 to 750 people until about 1978 it wasn't until 78 that he tipped and he was just getting started when he dies in 1981 but the legend record that came out when we were all teenagers that best of record in 84 right has sold i believe 275 million copies worldwide and bob marley's catalog with the exception of the beatles is the best-selling catalog on planet earth and reggae only exists off the Jamaican island because Bob of Bob Marley. Like I am not a reggae fan, but I am a big Bob Marley fan. There's something about that guy's voice. And I think steer it up is everything great about him in three and a half minutes. Everything about that beginning. The first of all, this sound, this is the thing reggae invents this off the one beat, like one, uh, and one, and a, and a, and a, right on top of the of the drums right here and that tension the world likes that more than it likes any other sound that human beings have come up with yet and uh, Lightfoot? Maybe. maybe even so i actually i had this was a hard one for me i had songs from all those other artists and i went back and forth and back and forth but i really thought about like both songs i love and the songs that end up having just a colossal international impact mm-hmm. i went with stir it up and i went with stir it up over i shot the sheriff and get up stand up because those songs sound a little silly to me uh removed from the bob marley myth and the gunslinger thing he was trying to create like sure. he, this whole jamaican gangster thing it has aged poorly for me but stir it up is just beautiful and uh so All that's right. my pick Good have at it boys ben ben what do you think Oh, dude. So basically, Jeff knows when we arrived at Haverford College in 1987, they wore that record out. They sure did. And they wore my ears out and my face. Like, it hurt my face to hear that music. And uh, I have since, Jeff convinced me, and I got the four-record box set, and I listened through it, and I've come around on it a little bit. Oh, you have? But I can't do anything. It may be Redemption Song, but I can't do anything that's on on Legend. Legend is just spoiled for me forever what about what about peter tosh or another reggae artist mixed on those guys yeah too. i'm, I'm I mean, actually i'm yeah i mean I, I like burning spears got a couple good songs i like a peter tosh song but for me bob marley is reggae like right. it's one of those genres where like bob marley is his own thing there are dudes who kind of sound like him but they just pale in comparison for me okay I, and stir it up was late on side two of legend so it didn't get spoiled for me the way some of those other songs did. Oh, dude, they would put speakers in the windows and you could not leave your room. Yeah, you couldn't. You know, it was ubiquitous. It was phenomenal. Phenomenally really? ubiquitous. Oh, yeah. dude, it was like the only thing that people listened to. And they were like, just 
you know, it was just really, really challenging. So if you're like, hey, um, could you not put your speakers out the window and play that? Because I'm outside and I would just prefer to hear nothing or listen to my Walkman. Right. And people would be like, why is it that you hate Jamaicans? I was like, can you just give me a break? Like, I yeah, that's actually, that that's such a good point. Like I've, like there was there were there was a whole decade I couldn't listen to Bob Marley at all, and I actually this is a new phenomenon for me. I I don't think I listened to Bob Marley for like fifteen or sixteen years, but I read a, I read the biography about five years ago, and then I the documentary that came out two or three years ago that the dude who made the Last King of Scotland and a couple of other movies made uh-huh. about him, where you actually learn about like his white colonial father and how he was right. really had a tough childhood from being multiracial and like how freaking hard it was to get off that island and then just the the sadness of that diagnosis and uh, oh brutal oh i fell for it all all over again and i actually came back and listened to the records in sequence and um i had new ears for it and so i'm actually in a bob marley kind of moment and it's possible it will fade and i'll get irritated again by because i do feel like bob marley's used as a as a uh, protective shield by uh, by dumb white people to show how down they are. And I'm pretty sick and tired of watching that happen in my adult life as well. So, Well, this is just so different from what was happening at the University of Dayton, uh, <laughs> where it was GNR all the time. And I had trouble getting down with Axl Rose. If that makes me a bad person, I don't know. Yeah, GNR was definitely edgy, dangerous Haverford music. Like you could very, it was very quick to connect fandom of GNR with all kinds of super dangerous leanings towards, you know, right. Trumpism. Well, hey, that's a great pick. Uh, stirred up, terrific song. Bob Marley uh, brings a different brand of rock to the world. Ben Barton, that's hard to follow up. It is indeed. And so the first thing I'll say is that uh, I've been very resistant to choosing the best song. It's a personal choice. And so this is one of those years where this was an easy one for me, partially because it's got a very personal song for me this year. All right. uh, My beloved wife, India Kincannon. See, I'm going to show you, Tim, how you do it when you talk about your wife. (laughs) I'm just going to go cheese the whole way. Okay. Okay. When my beloved wife and I were dating at Haverford, we, I, my, my typical thing with a girlfriend was to give them a mixtape. That was my thing. Sure. First. And I had like a whole plan for it and all the songs were in order. And uh, my wife was the first girlfriend that I'd had who gave me a mixtape back. Huh. And I was like, look at this. And it was super interesting. She grew up in Virginia and at current day, I'm not sure that this is true, but I mean, like, there were actual, there's regionalism. So, for example, like, the yeah. classic rock stations in Virginia played a different mix of stuff than the classic rock stations in New York. Sure. So, for so example, Mobile just... uh, and this is why it's personal. This is probably not the best song from this year, but it's my favorite song from this year. The band Little Feet, the only song that I knew by Little Feet was Dixie Chicken. And then they actually put out a really crappy record in the late 80s, early 90s, where I knew uh-huh. it was. Oh. Wait, Ben. But I was ben, not down ben. with the Dixie. Hey, Ben, st- start over. Start over with uh, Dixie Chicken, because you cut out there. Oh, all right. So, uh, basically, I, did not, I was not familiar with any Little Feet song other than Dixie Chicken, which I didn't really particularly care for. 
Sure. Uh, I just consider them kind of cheesy classic rock. Uh, but I was deeply wrong on that. And India Kincannon, the, the mix that I got back from her, had a whole bunch of amazing Little Feet songs on it that I have just come to absolutely <laughs> love and adore. And so this is an easy one for me this year. Okay. Two and a half minutes, two guys, two guitars, beautiful harmonies. The song doesn't even really make sense, but the lyrics kind of overlay to give you a vibe for the whole thing. Okay. And then afterwards, I'll tell you a little more about Little Feet. But uh, yeah, Jeff, roll them easy. Oh, nice. I thought right. it was a different song. I got to go up here a second. Hold on. But I got it. Roll them easy by Little Feet. pretty song i'm a huge huge fan uh, like now my my oldest daughter is a college freshman and uh -huh. she swapped playlists back and forth with her boyfriend and i'm just a huge fan of that the other thing that was really funny is i didn't know much about little feet and i actually thought that lowell george who's the guy who wrote that song and wrote most of their songs died in the early 70s but it turns out he died in 1979 oh uh, yeah comes out in 73 it's not a very big hit they eventually grow in popularity. Their best-selling record is their live record from 78. Yep. Hey, Jeff Simons, how much did Lowell George weigh when he died? Uh -oh. I'm going to guess he uh -oh. was 300 pounds of heavenly joy. 320 pounds. And yep. don't even think that I didn't spend this afternoon Googling fat Lowell George images because it's a lot. I mean, wow. that guy is gigantic. Yeah. He died hey. of a heroin cocaine ball oh. overdose. But there's oh, an actual dude from the band who was like, nah, man, he died from eating pizza. That yeah. guy just took two pizzas back to the bus and eat them. Yeah, wow. I believe that. So my closest musical uh, companion of the last 20 years is a guitar player named James DePredo, who I play in a bunch of bands with. Little Feet is his favorite band. Wow. And uh, oh. Lowell George is his favorite songwriter. And his guitar playing is so inspired by the slide guitar on all those records. And he... He gave me like just a PhD class in the Little Feet catalog. And, and Fool Yourself from this record was one of the last songs I cut for this 1973 best of. So we almost, because I think the clavinet playing on Fool Yourself is, is like 
one of the two or three best keyboard tracks in rock and roll. I just think Oh, yeah. It's well, the thing that I love about Roll, uh, Fool, Fool Your Chef is great. The whole record's great. But the thing I love about Roll Amici is it's so stripped down. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. It's just two dudes, and it's a full, rich, gorgeous sound. Like, yeah. you actually have to pay attention to notice, like, oh, wait, there's no bass? Oh, that's right. There's no bass. There's no yeah. drums. Like, it yeah. sounds like an orchestra, but it's just two dudes. It's amazing. Yeah, they were great. All right. So, I have zero understanding of Little Feet. I've got Dixie Chicken. That's all about all I got. So you got what, Fat Man in the Bathtub, which turned out to be uh, prescient. By the way, he was skinny when he wrote it, but it came true. So true. Gosh. What's a clavinet? Oh, so a clavinet is this old school uh, 70s electric keyboard. Huh. And uh, it kind of sounds, uh, well, here, it sounds like this. up on Cripple Creek sound that kind of kind of dirty sounding keyboard good stuff well I am I am so excited Ben with your selection because I looked at the list of heavy hitters and I'm like oh god he's gonna kill my selection but but you didn't go with Zeppelin you didn't go with the who you you came down to a, a kind of more sensitive side yes for sure that doesn't mean I'm not going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so which, um, which canyon of the world, Jeff Simons, does Ben Barton probably dislike? Which canyon? Yes. Laurel Canyon. That is correct. And we I, are going... I, I, he's going to have a soft spot for Laurel Canyon. Ben, do you have a soft spot for Laurel Canyon? I don't know. I got to hear first, man. All right. No promises. No promises. So, so this is a, a song I first discovered through 10,000 Maniacs. But we're going to go back to the original, These Days by Jackson Brown. Oh, that's a good choice. 10,000 Maniacs introduced you to that song? Yes. Okay, hold on. Here we go. These Days by Jackson Brown. start with uh, Nick Hornby's impression of Jackson Brown. He had a funny pudding bowl haircut that wasn't very rock and roll. He wrote Take It Easy at a time when I didn't want to take it easy. Um, And though I hadn't heard any of his songs per se, I knew they were wimpy, nasal gaving, sensitive American in all the worst ways, and none of the best. 
but do you guys uh, did you guys ever read Songbook by Nick Hornby? Yeah, I did. He does I come around it. though, and he and I th- I think what he thinks is that Jackson Brown was something that he didn't get as a teenager, but the older he got, the more he understood where Jackson Brown is coming from. And uh, this is a song that in my twenties, you know, when I was searching and trying to figure things out, I you know I did a lot of navel gazing, and uh, so did my buddy Jay Coughlin. Uh, Jeff, who you've met. I have met the mighty Jay, yes. I'd love, I'd love, Ben, to introduce you to Jay Coughlin at some point. Uh, but we would sing this through 10,000 Maniacs, and then we would find it uh, in Jackson Brown and sing it and just think about, gosh, where where have we been and where the heck are we going? Um, and it was, good to, it was good that Jackson Brown was out there kind of having, having tread over that same ground. Uh, how were the 20s for you guys? Well, I have Good two times. questions for you first. Hold on. Yeah, two yeah. questions. Do you know how old Jackson Brown was when he wrote these days? He's probably 21. 16 years old. Stop he's 16. it. He's, uh, he's already been hired as a professional songwriter by Tin Pan Alley, and he's 16 years old when he writes it. And do you know that this That's is a sick. cover? His version is not the first version. His version is, in fact, the second version. So he wrote song. it for another artist? Well, he wrote it for a song company, and it was covered. And I'm going to play you the original from 1967 and see if either of you can guess the artist. Nico of the Velvet Underground and Nico on her solo album. That's Lou Reed picking that guitar. So the original version of these days is actually the Velvet Underground masquerading as a cover band so that Nico can have a solo record called Chelsea Girl. Huh. So that is in, um, what's the Wes Anderson movie with Ben Stiller? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Gene Hackman. Oh, the Royal Tenenbaums? Yeah, yeah. It's in that. Um, I'm not surprised. All right, lay it on me. Jackson Brown. Like him, dislike him, what? I have a soft spot for Jackson Brown. I do not have a soft spot for early Jackson Brown, unfortunately. Sorry Uh to report. The first couple of records. But yeah, no, I I have a soft spot for Jackson Brown for sure. My best friend from high school, uh, Dave, is a huge Jackson Brown guy, and he's always feeding me Jackson Brown. So I'm sure I've heard that song at some point. Okay. Um, Just I recognize it right off the top. But the, the concern that I have is that you're getting the wrong advice in your 20s. That you were not listening to the right stuff, for sure. Uh, you should have kept stuff in. Like Guns N' Roses was leading you down the right path. <laughs> that's a fine. Like if you're 16, imagining what it's like to be a grown-up, that's fine. And that? maybe if you're in your 50s, that's fine. But in, at 22, you can't be – that's not where you should be at. That was fascinating that he wrote that at 16. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a depressing song about regret. 
Oh, I felt that way at 16 more than I did at 26. At 16, I was already fascinated with my own ennui, but 26, uh, you asked how my 20s were. My 20s were all right. I was working really hard. I worked harder in my 20s than uh, most people, I think. You know, I, had the, I, I have the job I had now, and I got good at it, and it took a lot out of me. But, right. um, um, that, was, that was my 30s. Okay. Well, yeah. Tell me, what's the difference in your mind between Jackson Brown and Tom Petty? Oh, uh, authenticity. Because can, can I say that, that Wildflowers <laughs> is like Jackson Brown? So here's the fundamental difference for me. That's a great question. Such a great way of asking it. As I was listening to, to These Days, which has a lot of the same things that make Little Feet great. It's got extra two or three beats here and there. It's got an uneven rhythmic structure. Like Jackson Brown and Lowell George are interested in the space between verses and choruses in a very similar way. Okay. But uh, I feel like Jackson Brown writes to a very imagined big audience. I think Jackson Brown is trying to write songs that people will listen to. And I think Lowell George and Tom Petty were writing songs because they had to. And that just might be me and the way I experience those two artists. But Jackson Brown sounds like an entertainer and Tom Petty and Lowell George sound like musicians. So Jackson and I'm not Brown's saying Jackson Brown's not a good entertainer. I, I, there's a couple of Jackson Brown. I think Somebody's Baby is one of the greatest songs ever written from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh, that's your favorite? Really? That would be I love that. I always have. I love you Boulevard. You like that song better than Running on Empty? Running on Empty is my No, favorite. I love Running on Empty too. And I love Boulevard. And I actually, my, my, deep, my deep track Jackson Brown song is a song called Fountain of Sorrow that I just absolutely love. I love the lyrics. It's a great song. So I, I have, I'm not slagging Jackson Brown, but at the same time, I think I Jackson Brown has a, um, uh, he can slide into the cheese. Oh yeah. And, and like putting on a show in ways that, um, that Lowell George and, and, uh, and I don't think, even though Tom Petty's an enormous artist and knows how to, put on an arena show like he's a little weird like Tom Petty so this is funny I would Tom not, Petty's that would a weird be, artist that would not be how I would put it the problem with Jackson Brown and it's a sort of scene in this song is the fake solemnity like he's like I'm oh, a yeah. great artist describing right. what life is like yeah right. you're right Petty, Petty does not do that nope I mean Petty's right. like American girl we're here to have a good time enjoy it like there are very few Petty songs that have like a deep statement about things. Whereas Jackson Brown, like the pretender, Jackson Brown's got a dozen songs where he's like, Jackson Brown's here to tell you what life is all about. And that just, just chased me. What's yeah, fast? For, like he has a whole record called For Every Man. It's in fact, this this song it, is from a record yeah, called For Every Man. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, what okay. I, I mean, did Jackson Brown, if he's writing way back when, I mean, did he give us the sensitive male persona of the 1970s, which comes up. Nice to, uh, well, maybe, except the other problem with Jackson Brown is the same problem with the Eagles and Billy Joel and so many of those 70s sensitive right. guys is they're misogynists. Let's not forget that Jackson Brown's a wife beater. What? And all the, yeah, what are you doing to me? Beat you up should Darryl say allegedly. Hannah. You've got to say allegedly. I do? You've got to say, he aren't doesn't they, admit it. Aren't they still married? About how his wife lied about him hitting her. All right. Well, they're he not... allegedly beat up his wife, and there and uh, there was seems... a picture of her with a black guy. Oh, and that seems like a very oh, weird. God. That seems like a very weird thing for Daryl Hannah to way, suddenly Tim, just it's, announce. It's Daryl Hannah. It's Daryl Hannah. Yeah, I knew. Flash. 
I knew that. No, so I was just getting and killed. And by the way, sorry to interrupt. I really, really like the song I'm Alive. The post Daryl Hannah breakup song is great. <laughs> my wife and my daughter were just killing me over my selection. They're like, you're not choosing that. I said, I am choosing this. It's from, it's from my before Helen times. Uh, and, and now they're going to listen to this and, and know that he was a wife beater. Allegedly. Again, they are, they are just two different things. And I'm a total hypocrite for, I mean, like, you know, I think Elvis Costello is a terrible husband, but he's a great songwriter. (laughs) Wait, what did your wife and daughter want you to pick? They, they even said, um, so speaking of young, young men writing songs, uh, Steven Tyler writes Dream On at the age of 17. That's a fun one too. And here I am, a Boston guy. I could have gone with Aerosmith. I do like their roller coaster. But then you can't pick Dude Looks Like a Lady later. You're saving the Aerosmith pick. That thing <laughs> kills me. Oh, dear Lord. All right. I think we have covered all of 1973. I next think we week, have indeed. Next week, I'll be back with a new selection now that I know what. But hold on. I, I think this is your best selection yet. Would you agree, Ben, that this is, this is Tim's? This is my favorite of the, of the Tim choices these days. I think. No, I like the Van Morrison one. Oh, I forgot. Thank you. That was also a redo. So. Oh, and I actually like Bobby McGee. Way, Bobby McGee's good, too. And, on the topic of your wife and daughters, my wife hasn't been paying attention. But my daughters have been paying attention. Uh-huh. I explained the Brandy situation. Uh-huh. And they were like, first of all, that guy's <laughs> got to live his truth. Brandy's got to be the selection. And then, Tim, to be even more pleased, they were like, and also, Dad, you're a dickhead. <laughs> you are bully and a dickhead. You made that guy not choose Brandy. And I was like, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. And I was just like, sitting in my office. <laughs> I'm okay, out that, of my business. That is definitely the sign off for 1973. Hey. We all try hard on this podcast, but we really don't know what we're doing. If you do, give us advice on Twitter at 50 Years of Music Podcast. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Electric Acid.